ministry there. <clears throat> we are having another night of worship event, a gathering, uh, this coming Saturday night, the 24th. This time it will be at the Freedom Center Church, which was formerly Hand in Hand Church. They just changed their name. And they are on Warnick Street in Elmira. Um, it's going to be 7 o'clock. And these gatherings are different every time because um, they are different people leading, different musicians, different leaders each time. So each time it's a little bit different. Um, but it's just really exciting, I think, that uh, churches are coming together in corporate worship. Um, so that will be Saturday night at 7 o'clock. And then, of course, Wednesday we have our Revelation study group here at 6.30. And, um, yeah. So, so yes. Oh, yes, thank you, yes. May 6th, mark your calendar, is the National Day of Prayer. It will be at noon in front of the Shimon County Courthouse on Lake Street, another ecumenical event where churches come together this time to pray and lift up our nation before God and our community. And it's always a very powerful time. And different pastors share and pray, and it's always a very good uplifting, encouraging time. And last year, we did it through Zoom, and it just wasn't the same, was it? <laughs> so we're gathering again in person this year, and that's going to be great. So that's uh, May 6th at noon. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, okay. Talking about identity, because in this religion, it's not about behavior modification or improvement. It's about a change in identity that results in a change of behavior. And I always go back to, I always relate this and use marriage as an analogy because that's why God gave us marriage. God gave us healthy marriages to, Ill, a healthy marriage is an illustration. It is an illustration to the world of what the love relationship with God looks like and how it works out. See, so, so, uh, uh, I, I respond to my husband's love for me with good behavior, not because I'm afraid of him, not because I'm afraid of messing up or blowing it or doing something wrong. No, there, that doesn't even enter the picture because it's a healthy relationship. I first know that he loves me unconditionally, and therefore, out of response to that unconditional love, why would I not just naturally want to please him? See, it's not, it's not a have to. Oh, I have to. I have to figure out, you know, how to make him happy. No, I get to. I want to. It's just natural. It's a natural response to his unconditional love for me. And, and God gave us marriage to illustrate the kind of relationship God, the God of Christianity, wants to have with the people that he made. So it's not a slave-master relationship. It is a lover-to-lover -lover relationship. That's why God refers to his people in Scripture as a husband, a lover, a friend. And, um, it's, and you know, when you are loved, if you've ever been loved to the point where your identity starts to change, then you know what I'm talking about. Then you know what I'm talking about. Um, so let's dig into that some more. 
A key verse is Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. This is kind of a key verse to just uh, keep at the center of this study on identity as we go along. And let's look at this verse closely. Colossians 3, verse 9. I'm reading in the New King James. It says, do not lie to one another. Okay, this goes back to what we talked about Talk, talked about last Sunday. Don't hide behind the fig leaves. Don't, don't put up a false front. There's, don't, don't, don't put up, don't live behind pretense. Do not lie to one another. In other words, do not keep putting up a false version of yourself in front of each other. Okay, I mean, this could speak of literal telling a lie to each other, but I think it's broader than that. So do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man... In the Greek, old doesn't mean aged, but worn out. And man, this word man in, in the Greek is actually anthropos. Where we get the word anthropology, it literally means human. In other words, since you have put, put, out, put off, as, a, as though taking off clothing, since you have put off the worn out old self, that is your human nature that you were born with, this is good Christian theology and doctrine I'm giving you right now. Since you, O Christian, O believer in Christ, since you have put off that worn-out human nature with his deeds. Notice it says with his deeds. It doesn't just limit it to deeds. It doesn't say since you have stopped doing bad deeds. No, the bad deeds accompany a fallen identity, see, that's why it says you've put off the old man with his deeds. <laughs> See, other religions will try to get you to simply change your deeds, right? Start doing good deeds, add up the tally on the proper side of the equation, right? Balance it out. Well, that's what religion does to us, and it's exhausting. Because <laughs> we can never quite balance the scale <laughs> in our favor and in God's favor. So this says, this deals with your identity. Put off the old man, the old nature with his deeds, and that putting off is a reckoning in your heart and mind. It's a, a, an, it's a belief, a true heart belief. And you have now put on the new man. The, new, the word new is fresh or regener, regenerate. And actually, the word man is not even in the original text. In other words, you have now put on something very fresh and new, something regenerate, a new identity. And since you have done this, made this great exchange, you've put off your old identity, and now you are clothed with the robe of righteousness that can only come through your personal profession of faith and the finished work of the cross. His righteousness. And it goes on to describe this new identity you now have. This person is renewed in knowledge. This amazing word knowledge. I love the Greek. In the Greek, this word knowledge, it actually means recognition, discernment, and acknowledgement. Put on the new man, the new identity, which is renewed in knowledge, recognition, discernment, acknowledgement, 
according to the image of him who created him. Remember last week we talked about we are created in God's image. That is our identity. That's where we start because that's how God sees us. And so it's as though we put on this new identity, this robe of righteousness, and, and the Greek is recognition. It's like, oh, that's who I am. That's who I'm supposed to be. See, it's a recognizing of the person that God intended and created us to be. Almost a remembering. But there has to be a death and resurrection. We'll get to that. Okay, so let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Moving right along, and, and uh, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know that we're going to go through the entire uh, story of God's people in the Old Testament like this, but I just landed here on Cain and Abel. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what happens. This is what happens next. And it's fascinating, this person, Cain, and how his identity, what it led him to do. So Genesis 4, verse 1, let's just read. It says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. So Adam and Eve, they are created, formed from the dust, and then Eve gives birth to the first born, naturally born human beings, a set of brothers, the first siblings. The firstborn is Cain, the secondborn is Abel. And it says in verse 2, it gives us their occupation. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Uh, respectable occupations. Cain's a farmer. She, uh, Abel keeps the sheep. Cain tills the ground. So it points that out, and then it says in verse 3, In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the food, fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So the text only gives us what we need to know, but it leaves out a lot. And what it leaves out is not important. It's, it only gives us what we need to know. And all we know is that for whatever reason, somehow Cain and Abel thought it was a good idea to bring an offering to God. So it must be that perhaps God had commanded, this was the first instance we see in Scripture of an offering, a sacrifice being brought to God. This is long before Moses instituted the sacrificial offerings in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. And so they bring an offering to God, and it says, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, so he brings this big pile of fruits and vegetables, whatever it is he had grown, worked hard to grow. And Abel brings of the firstborn of his flock. We can assume it was probably a lamb, perhaps, and of, and of the fat. There are two layers of truth in this story. 
And usually with any truth God gives us, with, with all the stories in the Bible, there are layers of truth. Revelation comes in layers. It's like an onion. You can read something in the Word of God and say, oh, okay, on the surface this is obviously what it's teaching me. But then through time, if you stay in the Word and keep meditating in the Word, more layers will be peeled back and you will have more revelation and you will go deeper in meaning. And so I'm going to give you this morning two layers of truth to this account of the, sacri- the offerings brought by Cain and Abel. And the first is obvious. So let's see what happens. It says um, in verse 4, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So God accepted Abel's offering, the lamb, and he did not accept Cain's offering, his produce from the ground. And so what does it say? But he didn't, verse 5, he, God did not respect Cain and his offering. So Cain finds out. He realizes, whoa, God is not pleased with what I have brought to him. Now, we don't know if Cain knew ahead of time what God required, what God wanted. It doesn't tell us. It does not tell us. We can surmise. We can speculate. But it's really irrelevant, irrelevant, irrelevant. (laughs) It's irrelevant, and I'll tell you why. Because let's look what happens. Look at Cain's response. God did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very humble and remorseful, and he fell on his knees in repentance and said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Please help me understand why this offering was not accepted. Is that what it says? No. No matter whether, he, whether or not he knew ahead of time what God required is not the point. The point is he found out his offering displeased the Lord. And what was his response? It says Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. See, if you really want to judge a person's character, don't judge their sin Judge their response to their sin. I mean, because we all blow it, right? (laughs) We all mess up. We all do things and realize, oh, that probably wasn't pleasing to the Lord. Oh, I probably hurt that person with what I said or did, right? But then what do we do with that? I mean, we are either going to have a very Cain-like anger that's angry because I got caught and God's not fair anyway and why does it matter anyway? That was Cain's response. See, what he should have done if he had any heart, any wisdom, any fear of the Lord, remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what Cain should have done is said, whoa, what's wrong? Why, Lord? Help me understand, show me where I went wrong here. But there was none of that. What is it that makes a person angry at finding out that God is displeased with their sacrifice or with their actions? 
with their behavior, with their sin in this case, because it was disobedience. So what does God say to Cain? Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Very good question. He's offering Cain the opportunity to reflect, (laughs) to think about this. Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? And Cain now has an opportunity to think and ask himself, well, what is it about, why am I angry when I'm the one who sinned? God goes on to say in verse 7, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, Cain, I'm ready and willing to accept you if you do well. You know, if you think about what it is that I'm after, Cain, I'm, I'm so willing and ready. I, my arms are open wide to you, Cain, if you will only take the time to listen and think about what it is I'm after. That's what God is saying here. And God goes on to say, if you do not do well, in other words, if you persist in this self-righteous anger, this attitude that, that you know better than me, this is God's message to Cain, if you persist in this, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. The, the, the Hebrew rendering is actually crouching like an, like an animal crouching at the door. It says, its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. In other words, Cain, I have made provision for you to rule over this thing that is at this point outside of you, but if you're not careful, Cain, you are going to open the door and give access to this thing to come inside and take possession of you and do something really unthinkable. He's got all the warning in the world right here to turn around and go in a different direction. Again, it's, your res- it's our response. See, God is so willing to reason with us. That's why he says this, this passage, this, what God is saying to Cain right now is similar to what God says in Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let's reason together. Even though your sins may be as scarlet, even though you may, you may be, find yourself steeped in nasty, horrible sins that are bringing you down, God says, come, let's reason together. Let's talk this through. Let me help you understand how I can and so want to change you and help you and deliver you. It says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And God is offering this opportunity to Cain to humble himself in repentance and find out, well, what is it that was so wrong about my offering. So see, it doesn't really matter that he didn't know ahead of time. He may not have known, he may not have understood, but he didn't want to find out. He didn't care to understand. So what happens? Next thing we know, verse 8, it says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And we can imagine, we can fill in the blanks because we're human just like Cain was. There was probably a lot of self-justification and self-defense going on in his mind because that's what goes with this, this anger, this rejection of instruction by the Holy Spirit when he wants to teach our hearts. 
there was probably a lot of deflection, um, blame shifting, self-justification and self-defense. And Cain finds himself going from there to talking to Abel, and it says it came to pass, in verse 8, when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. It's a fascinating account because Cain was a worshiper. You hear me? He's, br he's bringing a sacrifice. He lived sacrificially. He was a worshiper of God living sacrificially. He brought a sacrifice in worship to God, and he goes directly from that to murder. There is something here we need to grasp. Like, how does this happen? And it happens. It happens. That someone can go so quickly from a form of worship and believing sincerely that they are pleasing God, finding out, nope, that is not exactly what, what I'm after. And instead of reasoning with God and humbling ourselves to find out, okay, search me, oh God, like David did, which we're going to hear about next Sunday. Very different attitude. There's this anger. Well, I can, I can, I can do it my way. It's just, God's just not fair. Like, I don't, I don't have to, I can, I, can, I can bring my own kind of sacrifice. And he goes from that to murder. And of course, there's this jealousy because, well, God accepted my brother's sacrifice. God loves my brother better than he loves me, it must be. See, that's what, that's what Cain's warped identity was telling him, and he was not dealing with it before God. God could have straightened all that out. Oh, Cain, no, no, Cain, no, I love you the same. I, I just, this is what I require, and let me help you understand why, Cain. It's not about favorites. See, God could have helped him with that, and God so wanted to. But Cain refused relationship with his maker, and as a result, that jealousy crouched at the door and eventually entered in through the door and took possession of him and caused him to commit murder. It's astonishing. Verse 9, the Lord says to Cain, where is Abel your brother? I mean, that is a, that is a fundamental question in Christendom, in the Christian faith, God is always asking us, whether we're listening or not, hey, what about your brother or sister? What about your brother or sister? Like, is your heart concerned about your brother and sister? Yes, even the one that hurt you or who you hurt. Where are you with that? Ooh, that's a question we don't like. That's a question we'd rather stuff under, sweep under the rug, right? <laughs> Ignore. Same thing, God says, where's your brother Abel? God knew. He wanted to know if Cain cared. Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And there, boom, his heart is revealed. I am not responsible for anyone else except myself. So much so that I'll even worship God the way I think I should 
because I'm only concerned about myself and what I want to do and the way I want to do things. Not anyone else, including the Lord God Almighty, my creator. Whoa. Cain. So what is it about these sacrifices that were so different? Well, it says, Abel brought of the flock. I'm still on this first layer of revelation, right? We're just dealing with simple, obvious disobedience. It says, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat. In Scripture, all through Scripture, fat is very obviously related to the very best. The Bible speaks of, you shall eat of the fat of the land. And, all, and in, in Leviticus and Numbers, in many places, it talks about how the, the sacrificial animal that was brought to the temple and to the tabernacle, the fat was also burned. The Lord required the fat, the meat with the fat. It represented the best. But here's something interesting. Several places in Leviticus, it speaks of how the fat covers the entrails or the organs. And so, (laughs) yeah, I know, just hang with me. Kind of gross. And so, if you really wanted to give your sacrifice entirely to the Lord, you had to give the fat with it. You had to give the whole entire thing. You had to let it all, every bit of it, be burned on the altar In Scripture also, we know, especially if you read the New Testament, the true character, and the ancients, the ancient Jews believed that the true character of a person was found in their entrails, in their innards, their, their, their organs. In fact, even in the New Testament, a lot of times you will see the word bowels, where today in modern times we would use the word heart. We'd say, oh, I just don't have the heart for that, or oh, my heart goes out to him. They would actually say bowels. There's a place in 1 John 3:17 for instance that says if you have this plenty if you have plenty of this world's goods and you see your brother in need and you don't give and help that person uh, and, and it says, if you close up the bowels, your bowels of compassion, how does the love of God dwell in you? In other words, compassion they believed was found in your bowels. And so what this is saying, the, the importance of Abel offering the firstborn of the flock and the fat, the reason why that is so intentional, intentionally pointed out in Genesis 4-4, Abel bought, brought the lamb and the fat. The message here is God wants every part of us, including the hidden parts that no one sees, the parts of our inner lives where the very best of us can be found and the very worst, the parts inside us where we feel deeply, where we feel compassion and hurt and anger and disappointment, and offense, all of it, God says, bring me the fat, bring me all, every part of you. And Cain did none of that. Abel brought what God was after, the fat, the very best, every single part of our lives. Psalm 51, 6 says, Behold, you, God, desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, 
you will make me to know wisdom. Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day, and they were so squeaky clean on the outside. They looked like they had it all together. And Jesus pointed to their own scripture, their own prophet, Hosea, and he said, go back to that and learn what this means in Matthew 9, 13. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, I don't just want your sacrifices that you bring if there's no mercy in your life toward others, for example. That's truth in the inward parts. This is serious. Like, this is the message of Cain and Abel. (laughs) That's why Jesus said, don't even bring your sacrifice to the altar if you know that your brother has ought against you. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Don't even finish. Go your way and make peace with your brother. That's truth in the inward parts. That's offering the fat. (laughs) Every part of us. The hidden parts, the hidden attitudes that nobody except I know about and God. That's why Psalm 40, verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. This is in comparison to what God really wants. My ears you have opened. Burn offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is within my heart. It's in the inside, in the hidden parts, in the secret parts. Ephesians 5, 2 says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. See, if you really want to, if you really want to bring a true, pleasing sacrifice to God, there it is, walk in love, walk in love. Ephesians 5, 2. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your whole entire life, including every single hidden thought and attitude. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What God required of Cain and Abel was very reasonable, It wasn't outrageous. It wasn't unreasonable. So there's the first layer of the story, simply obedience. And we see what happens with a wrong response to disobedience when we are found out. But the second layer involves this theme of identity. And I would call this title today, I would title it The Identity of Works. Last Sunday, I said this. I said, I I referred to Satan as the accuser of the brethren. And I said how he accuses us night and day, right? And I said, as you know, accusations are not always based in truth. Usually, a lot of times, they're false. And so, so a lot of times, Satan will accuse us of things and make us think things about ourselves that aren't even true. But here's what I should have said, because someone pointed it out to me later, and I'm so thankful. A lot of times he's right. A lot of times he's right. And that's that's where we get in trouble. That's That's where he knocks us so down and we stay down because we know he's right. And what do we do? 
Now, what I'm going to say next, I need to be careful because this can be so twisted and distorted, this gospel of grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved and still saves a wretch like me. What I'm going to say next does not apply to those who are not bothered by their own sin, who, like Cain, would get angry at the notion that God has a moral right way for you to live. If your conscience does not bother you at all about willfully, deliberately persisting in a lifestyle of sin, this message isn't for you. Because what you could very easily do is distort what I'm going to say, and, and you've got this, this distorted view of grace that will deceive you into believing, oh, God loves me, he forgives me, so I'm going to live any way I want. That's not the gospel. That's rebellion. <laughs> That's disobedience. <laughs> That's trouble. No, God loves us. He wants, he has such good things for us. So this message, what I'm about to say, is for those who in their heart of hearts say, God, yes, I want you. I want to please you. And help me. Help me because I fail. And the voice of the deceiver has beaten me down so much that my very identity is being affected and I don't know who I am anymore, except maybe a worm. If that's you, this is for you, this message of grace. I've probably shared my testimony many times. I don't know how recently I shared it, but it bears repeating. And besides, Paul said in Philippians 1, it is very necessary for me to keep repeating myself and saying these things over and over again because for you it is safe. For me it is tedious, but for you it is safe. That's Philippians 3.1. So if Paul could share the same things and say the thing, same things, then I will too. But very briefly, if you haven't heard part of my testimony, I know what it's like to live ruled by this old, worn-out identity, to live under the dictatorship and the oppression of the voice of the enemy, constantly condemning me night and day. I spent years as a Christian, unliberated by grace, condemned and beat up, because I did not understand the finished work of the cross and what it provided as far as my identity is concerned. And this started really, it really came to a head when I became a mom. And, you know, I used to speak to mom's groups all the time, and, and, and I would tell them I was a great, I was a nice person before kids came into my life. I was nice to everyone in the house. It's because only Dave was there, and he's easy to be nice to. I loved myself. I didn't know myself. You know, and then I had kids, and hey, they're not perfect, it turns out. You know? And they mess up the house, and they do things that make us crazy. They don't mean to, but they're kids. And so I found out I, I had this, this <laughs> my old identity started to uh, determine my behavior 
In other words, I would see my actions and hear myself and the way I acted in the home toward my children. And I believed this lie that said, oh, that's who you actually are. Woe is you. Shame, blame, condemnation, guilt. And guilt like a snake suffocated me. And I lived under this suffocating condemnation every day for years because I figured God must be like me. I mean, when my kids made me crazy and did things that made me crazy, leave the wet towels on the floor, don't do the dishes, whatever it was, when they fought with each other, when they made me crazy, I would lose it. And I would have to run away and count to 10 and fold my arms and stomp my toes and take a breath. And I figured, well, God must be that way when I blow it, when I make God crazy. It must be that God has to go somewhere and hold his breath and count to 10 and breathe so that he could then come back and talk nicely to faith because faith is such a miserable creature and God must surely not like me today anyway. And then I'd have a good day. And on my good days, when I behaved myself, then I thought maybe God liked me now. You know what I was doing? I was bringing the wrong kind of sacrifice. God, I've worked so hard. See, that's the sacrifice of produce. Cain brought his own works to God. See? See what I've produced for you? I've been working really hard on myself. Aren't you pleased with me? You want to know why God rejected that sacrifice? Because it was all about Cain and what he produced through self-effort. And that lie kept me bound in condemnation and guilt for years. Until one day, (laughs) I found myself... When revelation, something that you've heard all your life, when the quarter drops from here to here, it sets you free. And Dave and I were, we found ourselves at some conference in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And the conference speaker was speaking to thousands of people, and it was like I was the only one there. And she said, if you wallow in guilt and condemnation, you are fellowshipping with sin, and you might as well pull up a chair next to Satan and sip tea with him for the afternoon. And I thought, oh my, I've been entertaining Satan an awful lot, just feeding on his words about me. And then I'm in this vicious cycle that I can't get out of because my identity is informing my behavior. And I've convinced myself that God must not love me. See, the sacrifice that Abel brought had nothing to do with his performance, his self-effort, his trying to be good. It had nothing to do with him. He couldn't produce that lamb. God created that lamb, and maybe it was even his beloved pet. It was a sacrifice. And so what an able-like sacrifice that makes me able to understand and receive God's love, don't forget that, 
is a sacrifice that looks like this. On my very worst day, when Satan could absolutely, if I let him, beat me down because of my failure, what do I do instead? I come to God with that lamb of Calvary in mind. And I say, God, this is all I've got is Jesus on the cross, bleeding and dying for me. And if that wasn't enough, then there's nothing left. There's nothing else. There's not, that's it. Like, I cast my cares on Calvary. I rest my hope. I rest my life, my identity. Let me be found in Christ alone. His shed blood on the cross was enough and will always be enough for me. That is the difference in Cain's sacrifice of self-effort and striving, striving, striving. And Cain's sacrifice, all I've got is a lamb, a life. And Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin, including our fallen identity that Satan would love to hold over ourselves every day. Jesus absorbed that into himself, never sinning himself, but that sin was imputed to him, accounted as being his, reckoned as his. He bore that on the cross. Galatians 2 I believe 2.20, let's see, says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Is it Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet the life which I now live in the flesh, see, it's very important that it says in the flesh, because we live this life in the flesh, don't we? Our flesh gets in the way and acts out, doesn't it? This life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why it says in Hebrews 11:4. It's amazing. I'm going to close with this verse. And he, Hebrews 11, is the, it's known as the Faith Hall of Fame. It's all these Bible heroes who do all these exploits. It's got, it's got Noah building the ark. It's got Moses crossing the Red Sea. It's got people, um, you know, stopping the mouths of lions. And in the middle of all these exploits, it's got Abel right there in the Faith Hall of Fame. And it says in Hebrews 11:4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which, through that sacrifice, he obtained witness that he was righteous. What made Abel righteous? His own goodness? No, his sacrifice. His faith, somehow he understood he had faith that this sacrifice of this lamb giving its life is somehow means that God accepts me. Like it's a picture of, of my sin being trans, uh, what's the word? 
transferred onto this lamb. It says, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Abel's sacrifice still speaks to us today. So much more I could say. This is kind of my life message. It's <laughs> but we will keep talking about it. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we thank you for your finished work on the cross. There's a reason it's called the finished work. There's a reason, Lord, that you said it is finished. It's finished for us. No more striving. No more overthinking God's love for me. He loves me and he demonstrated it on the cross. And I either will believe it in faith and take that as mine. Or I will continue through the fruit of my own efforts to try to please God in my own strength. And in doing so, I will absolutely reject the finished work of Christ on the cross. But that is not our testimony today, Father, in Jesus' name. We say with Abel, <laughs> first of all, here I am. I give my life to you, Lord, all of it. Every last part of me, the best of me and the worst of me, I give you my life. And I thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me. And I take it personally. I accept and receive you as my Savior, I confess and believe that you died for me on the cross. And your atoning sacrifice is the only proper and acceptable sacrifice for my sin. For my sin. I believe that today and I take it personally. And Jesus, I take you as my Savior. And I believe that when you rose from the dead, I rose to new life and a new identity with you. And by your grace, Lord, I pray that you would help me to begin to live by that, by who you say that I am. Cleansed, washed, justified, made holy in your sight through the finished work of the cross. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his holy name forever. Amen and amen. Amen. You may be dismissed.